1: Outcomes Rocket listeners, welcome back once again to the Outcomes Rocket, where we chat with today's most successful and inspiring healthcare leaders. Hey, I want to invite you to go to outcomesrocket.com slash reviews, to rate and review what you thought about today's podcast. And without further ado, I want to welcome our amazing guest. His name is David Williams. He's a president of Healthcare Business Group, member of board of the directors at Clario Vision, and he's got a track record of success in healthcare, among those things, a blog that he's been writing for the last 12 years and other companies that he's been involved with. But I wanted to extend the invitation to David to fill in any of the gaps in that introduction. David, welcome to the podcast.
0: Hey, thanks. It's good to be here. I'm, I'm not often called amazing, so I, I assume that's setting <laughs> up some, some zinger questions for later once you soften me up. But no, you, you, you handle it pretty well. You know, Health Business Group is a strategy consulting firm been around for, for quite a while. We work throughout healthcare and life sciences. I do write a blog. I am on the board of ClarioVision, as you mentioned, and also a couple of other companies, Vericred and Medulin. So keep them busy. Awesome.
1: Now, you, you definitely have reason to be and you know just your leadership track record in this field and thought leadership as well. So, David, what is it that got you into healthcare to begin with?
0: It's something I always had an interest in, even growing up. My father worked in public health as a highway safety researcher, and I did have a summer job one year at a VA hospital programming a mini computer. So I had some uh, really? some practice, yeah, programming and uh, clinical decision support nice. uh, way back when in the in the early eighties. So it was wow. uh, that was, I guess, how I got into it. And then that's pretty cool. Yeah. And then when I was in business school, I came out of there in 94. And so it was just after Hillary Care had fallen by the wayside, but the private sector had gotten the message that it better innovate and try to do some new and different things. So when I went to Boston Consulting Group, even though it was a general firm, I did a lot of work in the healthcare practice there.
1: Awesome. So really all roads led to healthcare for you and you've just stayed strong with it.
0: I mean, I guess, you know, when I was at BCG, I did some other things too, including work in the automotive space and paper and all that. And it was, it was kind of fun, but I thought healthcare was really interesting and also socially redeeming. So it's really, you are at the end of the day, impacting life and death, which is different than in some of the other fields. So when I left uh, Boston Consulting Group, which is back in 2001, I just decided to continue in that field and then never left. Love it, David. And
1: what would you say, there's a lot going on in healthcare today. Out of all the things that are going on right now, in your perspective, David, what would you say, hot topic that every leader needs to be focused on?
0: As you say, it's a little hard to pin it down. So I'll I'll give you a broad one, which is just overall costs and costs are just totally unsustainable we sometimes forget about how the high costs of healthcare are driving out other spending priorities both on the the public side and the private side so you see that things like education and infrastructure are really driven out by medicare and and medicaid spending from a, a government level and then on the private side it's it's much the same people trying to figure out how they can afford their copays on their medication even if they are Insured, so cost is really the biggest area I would say
1: and david as we as we think about costs, no doubt it 's uh, you know three point two trillion dollars, twenty percent of gdp it 's a big issue. like how do we tackle that like what would you say as far as say healthcare leaders, right? What do we need to be thinking about as it relates to costs, and maybe if you can drive down the main pillars of provider, industry, and payer?
0: Well, I think that there are a couple of approaches I would take to it one is to look at the overall level of value-based care. So that's something that certainly had been introduced probably during the Obama administration, even before then, things like pay for performance. And that really does bring everybody together, including the providers, including the payers, including the patient. And I would say that at the end of the day, you have to have a value-based system that's rewarding you know, value over volume. At the same time, under the the current administration, a lot of that work has has slowed down quite a bit. And those that uh, felt that they kind of needed to make the jump from volume to value, and we're trying to figure it out, and we're sort of ready to roll with it, have decided, well, I think we're going to step back for a bit because the fee-for-service era is going to continue for a while. And certainly the first HHS secretary in this administration, uh, Dr. Price, was focused on thinking fee-for-service was just great. So I think eventually we need to reaccelerate that value-based approach. And I, and I think that we will. So while that's, hap- while that's happening or while it's not happening, there are some other things that can be done. And, and some of those are a little bit more specific. So thinking about how in other industries, technologies are used to reduce cost while improving quality. There, there's actually no contradiction between cost and quality from that from that standpoint. And a couple of the companies that I've been involved with that I can talk about publicly, like iCardiac Technologies, which was just sold to ERT earlier in, in December, and ClarioVision both do that. They're improving quality but they're also reducing costs by an order of magnitude in many cases, both in the areas of uh, clinical trial, core laboratories, and then in uh, vision correction. So some of those technologies can come in as well. One problem you do see in healthcare is that you'll have something that may look like it's a lower cost, and it might be on a unit basis, like going to a retail clinic instead of going to the emergency room. But if you go to the Retail clinic instead of staying home and you still go to the emergency room. When you go to the emergency room, it's just additive. So that, that's right. one of the tricky things in healthcare.
1: Uh, that's really interesting. And, and so the examples that you provided are both industry and just from the perspective of, of the folks listening, it, it just seems like as a provider, it just with the changes and just hard to get to that point of value based care we are in a uh, value-based, fee-for-service-based system. And it seems like maybe a lot of the onus is getting put on companies to own that.
0: Well, what happened before is that Medicare is, is such a big elephant that you really have to pay attention to Medicare. So I remember back 15 years or so ago, uh, Harvard Program Healthcare was trying to do some innovative things related to you know, what at the time would have been called pay for performance or some alternative payment models. And what they found is that the hospitals they were dealing with, even though Harvard Program was supposedly the, the top health insurer in the, in the country, they didn't have that much influence over the hospitals. The hospital would take whatever they did and just convert it into Medicare equivalents. And they lost all the incentives and the behavior change they were trying to get as a result. So with Medicare setting the tone with things like ACOs and bundled payments, it provides private health plans, at least, with the opportunity to sort of follow in their, in their footsteps. And so I think what you're seeing now is that even if the feds are backing off from some of that, the private health plans, the commercial plans, Medicare Advantage plans are still continuing down that path and they can continue to make uh, progress as long as Medicare doesn't completely undercut them.
1: Yeah, that's a really interesting perspective. I, I think it's a good, good way of framing it and um, really the way that, that it's ticking. So if you had to say your group, David, had to focus on one thing, what is 2018 looking like for for healthcare?
0: I think that 2018, unfortunately, might be looking like uh, 2017. So that's a little bit of a grim prospect. So I, I do think what will happen is that- and what do you mean by that? What was
1: 2017 like? Are you just saying there's not many changes coming?
0: I'm saying that from a healthcare policy perspective, which is where I, I spend some of my time not a lot really happened. It was more about undermining things that were already there, slinging arrows, trying to undermine or or repeal as opposed to building anything new. Even one area that you might have thought was going to get some attention, which was drug pricing, really didn't. So I mean, from a healthcare policy perspective, I don't see a lot of great things happening. And I also think that with the tax bill that may shortly become law, that's likely to sort of take money out of the system, without making a lot of good impact. So you'll see more organizations that are suffering financially. So I, that's kind of what I expect in 2018. I think especially as an election year, we can't really expect any bipartisanship to occur. So I don't have high hopes on the policy side. My hopes are more that we're going to see things like analytics and big data that have been brewing for a while, It'll start to make a practical impact. That's what I would point to. You'll, you'll see things like that, nothing from a policy standpoint. For sure. Yeah. No, thanks for sharing
1: that. It just seems to be that consistent thing that nags at all these companies that have amazing ideas that want to move move the industry forward. Policy just can't seem to keep up with the innovations. Kind of like with Amazon, you know, they, they want to get their drones out there, but our antiquated airspace policies don't allow us to get there.
0: I think you're going to see Amazon, you, you point to them for another reason, but certainly that's an organization that is starting to enter healthcare and could have some impacts as, as soon as 2018. You already see impacts on it in that it's, it's driving others to take action like the CVS Aetna merger proposal I would put in that category of a defense against Amazon. Yeah, really interesting. So let's shift here, David. Can you share with the
1: listeners a time or an example of, you guys have done a lot and you guys have done a lot of really good things. So out of the many that you have in mind, a story when you guys improved outcomes
0: for a client that you've worked with? Maybe I'll take something a little bit off the beaten track. So, you know, we work with businesses mostly, but we also work with nonprofit organizations. And I don't mean just nonprofit hospitals, which is just another... Way of not paying taxes, but they're they're effectively businesses that are competing. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. But we, we do call some me work. like it
1: is. Call exactly.
0: me like it is. I love it. Exactly. So we work with some major philanthropic foundations, and we often help them on what they call sustainability for uh, some of their multi-stakeholder nonprofit organizations. Some in the area of regional health improvement collaboratives, and sustainability really means how can they survive without having being completely grant supported. So what we do differently is we bring a real business perspective to it. So we say, even though you're a, you're a not-for-profit and you're a, you're a collaborative group, you still need to think about things like your value proposition, customer service, return on investment. And by getting some of those business concepts across without undermining the soul of the organizations, hmm. we've been able to help some of these regional centers really get on their feet and be successful and sustainable for the long term.
1: I think that's really great, you know just supporting the, the people that have a, a really strong mission and are in it for the greater good that's maybe the path that your father laid out for you, and you continue to, to carry it forward as a, as a public servant so, so kudos to you guys for doing that.
0: So I don't want to take it too far. I'll give you another example that's a little bit yeah, more uh, yeah more mercenary. so wh- another thing that I do as a, a board member of privately uh, owned companies is try to incorporate the grand perspective. But also be able to navigate between the private equity investors who are very financially driven yes. and the company executives who often focus heavily on the on the day to day so sometimes it's about uniting two companies that may have kind of be suspicious of one another but actually are very complementary and, and that's something that I worked on recently with two clinical trial core lab companies that I was involved with, and they, and they came together in a way that I think is going to be very strong and powerful for the customers on the market.
1: So let's dive into that a little bit deeper, David, because I do believe that this happens too often. We're oftentimes in a position where we consider another group potentially a foe, when in reality, they're a partner. In the end, it hurts us. It hurts the organization and it hurts the people that we serve in healthcare. Can you give us an example of how you help people bridge that and how you get them to work together?
0: Well, you're pointing to something that I think is, is important, which is that people that are very you know, kind of close rivals may actually have more in common and be able to work together. So I guess I saw this most exhibited actually by my younger brothers who are identical twins. They used to beat the heck out of each other in the house. They just pound on each other day day and night, and they're both actually pretty good wrestlers. But what you got, and that's, I think, the ultimate example of uh, somebody that is very close to another one, an identical twin. When they got out in the world, if anybody would poke one or the other of them or, or bother me even as their older brother, they would be you know, just instantly completely bonded and working together. So in a very strong way that would make somebody regret having uh, picked on one of them because they're definitely getting getting two of them. That's something that maybe I, I learned at home, not from my father, but from my my brothers and help companies to think, not exactly in those terms, but to say, hey, if you're, you know, if you're such major rivals and you're always going up against one another, you know, what are ways that you can potentially come together and be even stronger? Wow. And I love that idea. And the analogy is wonderful.
1: If you had to pull out one thing, what recommendation do you give people looking to do that
0: better? I would say, first of all, you know, take a deep breath. And listen to somebody that is more of an observer of the industry, or even a, a customer or an investor, and try to understand their perspective and look at it fresh. And you know, for even forget the name of the other organization that that you're dealing with for a minute while you while you do that. Love it uh, What a great tip and listeners,
1: too often we 're all guilty of this. We get stuck in our head about what we believe, about what we say we know, but truly what our perspective of a situation, a person, a group is and uh, let 's heed david 's advice you know let's let's step away from it and get some fresh perspective because we may be missing some amazing opportunities of collaboration and even just a bigger way to fulfill our mission that we're all in here for, which is improving outcomes and being able to do it profitably. David, you know, you're sharing some really great tips, so I really appreciate it. What would you say to date, in the decades that you've been in healthcare, is one of your proudest moments?
0: Well, I would say one, one example is things that are not done. You know, We talk about doing business strategy, and, and strategy, of course, is about what you are going to do, but it's also about what you're not going to do. Yes. Well said. We, we do a lot of work with companies that are making acquisitions and, and oftentimes somebody will really fall in love with an acquisition and they're hiring advisors, but you know they've got a bias toward doing the deal. And if you tell them it isn't good, you know, you're not going to be that popular. So we were working and with one company and the chairman of that company was very hot on a particular acquisition opportunity, really fell in love with it. And he was also described to me as a very mercurial and forceful type of guy. Mercurial, I'd say, was an understatement, if that's possible for that to be an understatement. (laughs) And he put a a lot, I'll give you an example of that. So he put a lot of pressure on the management team, and and specifically on me. I remember when we started to sort of question the deal, he he threatened that not only was he not going to pay our bill, he was going to send us a bill, (laughs) which I thought was, uh, which is really something. So we stood our ground and recommended against the deal, and, and eventually it didn't happen. And a few months later, it was sold for about 40% less than uh, what wow. our client was prepared to pay for it. And then it actually went downhill from there after it was acquired. Oh my goodness. So, oh so I my heard God. later from, uh, yeah, no, I heard later from the CFO of that client that that was, of all the things we'd done with that company, which we'd worked with for, you know, several years, that this was the most valuable one because it, it really helped them avoid a disaster. So I guess I'm proud of something that we, that we didn't do or that we convinced somebody else not to do. I think that's so awesome. So
1: congratulations on standing your ground. You know, a lot lot of times it's tough to do that, especially when somebody threatens you like that. And so that speaks to your courage and to your vision. And then secondly, the message to the listeners strategy is not always about what you're gonna do, it's what you're not gonna do as well. So let's consider that, let's uh, take this example, this lesson that David shared with us, and uh, this potentially catastrophic financial decision that could have been made was avoided because of courage, and because of seeing that. So uh, really wonderful example, David, thanks for sharing that. Sure. So tell us about an exciting project that you're working on today.
0: Well, one of the things I love about my work is that Really work only on exciting projects, so uh, so everything, everything is uh, every everything is wonderful. You know, it's like from the from the Lego movie, right? That's right. One thing that that I would say that we see a lot of that seems to be a theme right now is clients of ours that have some sort of technology or software that are interested in trying to expand into services, mm-hmm. and it's both a way for uh, the customers, it's a business in and of itself when you're looking to accelerate growth, but it's also a way for the customers to get value out of the products that they are, that they're purchasing. You find that you have a product that has a great return on investment, and yet how come you're not getting the type of growth or the penetration or the price realization that you would expect? Yes. And a, a lot of that ha- can be remedied actually with services. So that's sort of a generally exciting one. I could say if you ask me for a very specific one, you know, we're working right now with a, uh, a company that, has, that does clinical trials, and, they, and they've got a particular medical device they use in the trials. It, they spent a lot of effort on the device, and now what they're finding is that those who are leading the clinical trials are saying, hey, this would be great to have in my everyday medical practice. So we're evaluating whether this can be used in more routine healthcare settings as well. I can't be too specific about it, but that's, uh, that it. would be the one that's most exciting.
1: I get it. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. Just putting the lens on and seeing the applications and for the other example that you gave, established companies looking to just get additional growth. Services tend to be that way to do it. And so if you are a company executive listening to this, I definitely encourage you to check out the show notes. Uh, David will be able to share his company info contact info and uh, potentially reach out to him because he's definitely got some pretty good wins under his belt as it relates to helping companies diversify and increase their penetration in the market. So, David, let's dive into this part of the episode. You and I are building a medical leadership course on what it takes to be successful in medicine today. It is the 101 or the ABCs of David Williams. And so we're going to write a syllabus here, for questions, lightning round style, and then we'll follow that up with a book that you recommend to the listeners. You ready? I am as ready as I'm going to be. I think <laughs> I love it. You're quick on your feet, so I know this will go well. What's the best way to improve healthcare outcomes?
0: I mean, oddly, I think it's actually to encourage people to stay away from the doctor and take good care of themselves, both from a sort of a preventive and wellness basis. And then even when something's happening to them that is uh, medically necessary, they they should be thinking and not just become passive. Within the system, love it.
1: What is the biggest mistake or pitfall to avoid?
0: One I think is really about relying too heavily on on medications. To you know, every medication is going to have some side effects. Now, certainly, people may need medications; nothing wrong with that. But sort of the idea of a pill for every ill, and physicians that may look at things that way, not always working in the in the favor of the patient. And I think, in particular, try to avoid getting addicted to opioids, which is uh, all too common, unfortunately. Yeah, that's for sure. And
1: this is definitely a hot topic for me too, David. Just being able to understand that a pill only takes care of a symptom and oftentimes not the actual problem. So diving into what is the actual problem rather than just masking it with a pill. Love that. How do you stay relevant as an organization despite constant change?
0: Yeah, that is a hard one. We have a very seasoned team, which is a better way than saying that we're all old and, you know, (laughs) doddering, but maybe that's one reason we're not doing the the video here. But we really tout our experience. We know what we're doing. We've seen a lot of things. And so the biggest danger is really about staying open to new ideas. And there's a couple ways that we do it. One, I already mentioned serving on boards of companies that are doing really innovative and and exciting things. A lot of those are run by younger innovators, people really taking some interesting risks and, and, and really pushing the envelope. And the second way is, um, as you do, I, I write a blog and do podcasts with entrepreneurs. So I'm always being pitched ideas about uh, new companies and, and, and speaking with CEOs, entrepreneurs who are, who are doing something that's interesting. So try to be open to these ideas, but also put myself in a place where I'm going to be confronted with new ideas, new companies, uh, new approaches. Great tip. And what's the one area of focus
1: that should drive everything else in your organization?
0: I mean, in our own organization, we, we have an insistence on trying to do really great and nearly perfect work. So I'd say, you know, they say don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. We don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good, but we do let it be the enemy of major growth and, and expansion. We like to keep a, a very tight focus on, on what we're doing. And you know, most of the people that work in health business group have been uh, working here for 10 or more years. So <laughs> that's how we do it.
1: It speaks to the culture. People don't stay a decade or more if the culture does not fit. I know this wasn't one of the questions, but what would you say a tip you'd give to the leaders listening to this show on building culture?
0: Certainly, you know, things start from the top. And just as in raising children, if you're going to behave a certain way, you can't expect people all of a sudden to behave in a a different manner. So setting the example, uh, being consistent Those are important things, and then you you kind of build it from there. Love it. What book would you recommend to the listeners
1: here on this syllabus, David?
0: Well, at the risk of dating myself a little bit, one of my favorite classics and one that people don't always know about is called uh, Parkinson's Law and the subtitle is Other Studies in Administration. You might have heard Parkinson's Law or be familiar with it. Parkinson's Law itself, so Parkinson's Law is work expands so as to fill the time available for its completion. Mm. And this book is really full of pithy observations on administration and about how organizations become dysfunctional as they grow and evolve. So they have chapters on things like directors and councils, the annual general meeting, how people are, are selected, and I would say just one word of caution that there's no bad words in there, but some of the modern readers may find it a bit offensive. It's coming from uh, including some uncensored you know, social observations from a 1950s British perspective. But there's, there's some amazing principles to be derived, especially about how large organizations work.
1: Love it. Love it. Yeah. And, and, you know, I have found this to be so true, David. If you give yourself six months to do it, you'll take six months. Yeah. Give yourself two months.
0: Somehow you'll figure out how to get it done in two months. There's, I there's a lot of wisdom in that. Yeah, that's it. See, now you know. You learned something finally. You didn't expect to learn anything in this uh, podcast.
1: (laughs) Every time, every time, especially from you, David. So I'm glad you recommended that book to us. And listeners, don't worry about jotting that down. Just go to outcomesrocket.com slash David W. That's for David Williams. David W. And you're going to find all the show notes as well as this mini syllabus that we just got put together for you. Links to the book, links to his company and his blog and all the things that he's up to. David, time flies when you're having fun. We're here to the end. So if you can please just share a closing thought with the listeners and then the best place where they could get a hold of you.
0: Okay. Well, a closing thought is that despite what I said about 2018, not looking that rosy is, uh, you know, life is what you make of it. So uh, let's everybody out there listen and and prove me wrong by making it great. A good way to find me is at uh, healthbusinessgroup.com or if you like Twitter, I'm at healthbizblog. And you can also look at the health business blog. Those are all ways that you'll get to me. And with the common name of David Williams, you'll find a lot of us out there. So make sure you're looking at the one that's involved in healthcare. Awesome. David, it's been such a
1: pleasure. Listeners, be sure to reach out to David, stay in touch with him, follow him. He's up to some really amazing things. David, just want to say thanks again for making the time to be with us. So all. It's my pleasure. Thanks for listening
0: to the Outcomes Rocket podcast. Be sure to visit us on the web at www.outcomesrocket.com for the show notes, resources, inspiration, and so much more.